Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's new Ultra Micro Diameter Injection Arrows. Injection utilizes the new Deep Six standard for more big game penetration than ever before. Learn more about the injection today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Editor Christian Berg. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today we're the voice of spring because the sun is shining, the temperatures are rising. Somewhere in the distance, I believe I hear a turkey gobbling, and I hear that the grass is getting green in Oklahoma from today's guest, none other than the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, field editor and DIY bow hunter extraordinaire, Mr. Eddie Claypool. Eddie, welcome to Bow Hunting Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. That's it? That's it? Nothing yep. about my introduction? I'm trying to butter you up here, buddy. Well, I'm not into flattery, but uh, anyway, it sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, man, uh, it's getting to be that time. I mean, turkey seasons are just around the corner, and uh, I figured I would not be doing my listeners uh, right if I didn't address the topic of spring turkey hunting. And when I think spring turkey hunting, particularly when it comes to DIY spring turkey road tripping adventures, um, I'm not sure there are many who do it any better than you, Eddie, and that's no flattery. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I enjoy the springtime a lot. I'm to where now in my lifetime I don't have to work in the spring like I used to all the time, and I get to really spend a lot of time traveling around, and it's a great time for an outdoorsman to be a field. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, let's talk about something right off the bat, and, and that being opportunity. I know that uh, something that you lament from time to time uh, in your own bow hunting life is the way that the white-tailed deer resource across America has gotten very commoditized. You know, it's uh, it's big business anymore. Big bucks are big dollars. You know, there's no doubt about it. And I'm not just talking about the deer that are behind fences. Uh, pretty much anywhere you go, in America today, if you've got a lot of big mature bucks running around, chances are you're going to need to get with an outfitter or pay a pretty steep lease to get on some of the very best ground. Um, but with turkeys, there's still an awful lot of opportunity out there, isn't there, for an ambitious bow hunter who's willing to take a road trip and, and explore some new territory? Absolutely. Uh, there's plenty of turkey resource left. Uh, a lot of landowners that protect their deer will allow you to uh, turkey hunt. And otherwise, a lot of the game and fish departments, um, you know, manage walk-in type hunting programs in different states where there's plenty of turkey hunting opportunity there. And then finally, there's usually plenty of good turkey hunting access on public ground throughout the states. And between all three of them, there's no problem for a guy to just you know, continue to travel around the Midwest or the central part or even the western part of the country and access good DIY turkey hunting. Yeah, and another nice thing about turkey hunting, in addition to the fact that you can do it on your own so you don't have outfitting costs, 
the tags are tend to be cheaper than non-resident deer tags and especially for youth there's lots of great opportunities in some of these states isn't there eddie where you know young hunters can get turkey tags sometimes for as little as you know fifty dollars or less and it's a great thing to do in the springtime if you can get you know your kids or get the cousins together and and do a father son or a mother a daughter just a tremendous youth hunting opportunity because there's plenty of turkeys out there and uh if you mess up on one you can go find another one right yes sir absolutely turkey hunting is a good family outing uh it's a good way to introduce youngsters to the out of doors and you know most serious bow hunters that hunt antler game kind of look at turkey as a just a filler or a, a fun hunt so you know, they'll take the time to introduce kids to the sport through turkey hunting. And, and the tags are a lot cheaper for youth, and they do have a lot of special youth-only seasons that really are great for the kids. So it's, it's a great time to get family members and young ones out there and, and introduce them to uh, the hunting sports. Yeah, for sure. Matter of fact, I, I had mentioned to you a while back, I'm getting kind of anxious myself. It's about a month out now, but here in early April, I'll be heading down to Texas with my two boys. And, um, you know, I've done a fair bit of hunting with my kids and, and getting them introduced to things here at home in Pennsylvania, but I've never taken them on a trip with me before. And so we're going to go down to Texas and chase some Rios. And, uh, again, I just think that's going to be a great opportunity. And, and like you say, I mean, what better to do, you know, in the springtime, yeah. get out there and soak up some sunshine and make some memories. Yeah, it's a great time to camp and take a fishing pole and road trip with the boys and just have a good time. For sure, for sure. So, you know, let's get into the ins and outs of DIY turkey hunting because, um, you know, I know you've got a pretty broad spectrum of experience, not only uh, around home there in Oklahoma and up into Kansas over into the Dakotas, probably out as far uh, west as, as Wyoming, maybe uh, Arizona. Um, you've you've sort of you've sort of crisscrossed America, you know, doing all kinds of hunting. But you've certainly sh- chased longbeards in in your share of states. Why don't you walk me through uh, how Mister uh, Claypool, or should I say Captain Claypool, goes about, you know, maybe identifying a likely area. For, for turkeys, you know, before you ever leave home, and, and then what you do as you as you get on the road and arrive in those areas and set about finding some birds to hunt. Okay. Uh, you know, usually from all of my ramblings with the deer hunting, I'm, you know, in the back of my mind laying groundwork for turkey in the spring, too, so I get a lot of my scouting and uh, field work done that way but you don't have to travel to you know to find turkey spots you can find them through um just simply browsing google earth and putting that in conjunction with uh maps and looking at uh the game and fish websites of each state ferreting out walk-in hunting areas looking at google earth to make sure that they have good turkey habitat on them and then uh, the public lands of that state, there, there's no problem picking uh, no-brainer places, even out in the more open places like the Dakotas and stuff. All of the creek drainages and a lot of the, even the open plains areas have plenty of birds because 
uh, there's a lot of shelter belts planted out in the plains and different things where the birds roost. So there, there's often birds to be hunted and found in places that don't even seem like traditional um, turkey habitat to Easterners. But, uh, you know, basically I'd say that any of the central and western states uh, are no-brainers. There's plenty of public land and plenty of walking land that is available. So you don't really have to worry about getting burned. Just pick you a, a semi-reasonably good area, you know, from Google Earth. Go there, and uh, if you've done your work with, you know, maybe some calls to biologists maybe or game and fish and uh, looking at Google Earth, you, you'll get into birds. You'll find places to hunt, and don't overlook knocking on doors because there's still a lot of open access to turkey hunting to the standard, you know, uh, traveling bow hunter in the western states that is otherwise tied up as far as access to most any other kind of hunting. Yeah, and you like, of course, you're a big camping guy, and those who right. those who read the magazine know that, you know, Eddie can't hardly go anywhere anymore without his <laughs> travel trailer, his wife right. Peggy, and his faithful companion Lulu. So uh, that's yeah. that's how you roll. But uh, of course, you don't have to camp. Uh, a lot of these places with good turkey hunting aren't too far from some of the small towns out there in the Midwest. And it's pretty easy to find good hunting within a reasonable drive of the local motel too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Even the smallest spots in the roads usually have a little old uh, redneck motel of some type. And, you know, a lot of the people, you know, if you just simply bring a tent, you know, if you're going to be three or four days, uh, in the spring, you're going to have good weather. You might catch a rain once in a while. But other than that, you know, camping is is very doable in the spring. You don't have weather problems. And you can always find a place to stay somewhere. It, it's not That's not even an issue. I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, for sure. Now, talk to me about once you get on the ground somewhere. I mean, I realize at this point you probably know more than a dozen you know, good public land turkey hunting areas that you could you could roll into any given spring and get right on some birds. But, you know, think back to those days when you were rookies in those areas and uh, what's your advice to people as far as, you know, getting a handle on the local turkey patterns and how to go about setting up their blinds and getting in position for the hunt? Yes. Well, uh, of course, it all varies with the type of habitat you choose to hunt. Um, some of the places in the Dakotas and Nebraska that I hunt um, are really open, like three-fourths open, and I get up on prominent landmarks, hills, mesas, and glass a lot, and you'll catch the birds during the day moving around on their feeding patterns. They make a usually a, a travel junket each day, and you can glass them and then follow them or get an idea of where they're headed to roost usually in a creek drainage somewhere or a shelter belt, and then, you know, go over the, in that direction and listen to them roost that evening. And then I, I like to come in, you know, the next morning before daylight and have a pretty good idea from the evening before where I'd like to set my blind and decoys, and I ease in in the dark and set up and, and, and just call to them. The birds are usually pretty receptive out west. They're not heavily pounded they're about super educated birds and you have good success um 
some of the larger drainages out west are more like eastern habitat, really large expanses of, of wooded terrain. And any type of eastern approach, you know, in those big wooded, uh, like the Missouri River drainages and some of the feeder drainages that come into it, they're all big wooded habitats and a lot of public land and a lot of walk-in land along them. And you can uh, just, you know, get up on the hills in the morning or evening and listen for gobbling birds. And he's in there just standard eastern tactics, uh, uh, either open country glassing or wooded, you know, still hunting along and listening and calling for birds and then trying to figure out where they're roosting at and setting up on them. It's basically all the secret to it. So you're typically setting up right somewhere uh, adjacent to a roost area or along uh, a travel corridor that you've established from glassing or some other long-distance observations, right? Right. I uh, I will either try to kill a bird in the morning when it gets down and gets ready to leave on its tour. They usually stage in an area for a while when they get down and strut, and, and they're fairly stationary for a while of the morning. And if I know around about where they're roosting, I'll try to set up maybe two or 300 yards back, maybe a 400 yards back from it and uh, try to call a bird in, you know, early. If I'm hunting them in the midday, which I do a lot, and I actually think some of the best hunting is in the midday, I will usually have from, you know, walking there and scouting it and hunting in a day or two, I will develop an idea of where the birds go during the middle of the day. They like to go out into areas that are kind of remote, unbothered, and set up uh, kind of a strutting area during the day and, and They'll get there and hang out for a while in the middle of the day. A lot of times it'll be a scattered, maybe cedarish hill, or um, you know, an oak, an area that's on the backside of a hill, away from human intrusion. And they'll go there during the middle of the day and hang out for hours. And if I determine where that's at, I'll always have a blind set for a midday hunt, and then I will usually just carry a blind and decoys with me for my morning hunt and move in and and try that approach early morning. If it doesn't work by mid-morning, I may pull that gear, make a quick loop around, and get into my midday blind out, you know, maybe a half a mile away somewhere, out more in the open prairie on a secluded hill where these birds will be going to spend their midday times. And then what about in the evening? Will you also hunt birds coming back to the roost, or what is your plan at that time of day? Yeah, that's a very deadly tactic. Uh, it's almost, to me, it's a little bit, you know, you feel like you're cheating a little bit because if you know where they're roosting, you know, it's basically just a matter of setting up close by and waiting for the birds to show back up each evening. It's a, it's a foolproof tactic. It's not as challenging as as going out and hunting them in the middle of the day and, and you know, working them while they're on the move. But, yes, evening hunts um, are very, very deadly. Uh, I think there are probably state or two, I believe maybe Missouri, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, I'm not sure about this, but I believe you can't even hunt them in the evening. I think they do that because they know that people will, uh, you know, set up right under the roost and wait on them to come back. I, I, that's not as sporting, but, you know, maybe set up two or 300 yards away from the roost, and, and if you're in their line of travel, they'll be by, and the uh, problem is sometimes in the evening they're not real interested in, you know, messing around they're headed for roost and they usually won't travel too far out of their way to come check you out so you might want to get in their travel route for sure yeah and i'm kind of curious then 
what you do uh, with your decoy setup too. Um, how, how many decoys do you usually use, Eddie, and, and how do you position them? And what have you found is, you know, been most productive for you over the years? Well, I've tried all kinds of different setups, everything from the big, you know, stand-out gobbler and hen to the jake and hen to just a hen to just a jake, you name it, just about anything. And I've had some tremendous results with just about every type of setup, and it's real hard for me to say which setup is best. I don't think that I probably am as, you know, versed as maybe a lifetime um in-depth turkey hunter uh, on that. I, I just believe that if you, it's like with decoying a deer or calling a deer or an elk. If you find a bird that's receptive, it's going to respond you know, to a decoy set up and calling. It's coming. And if it's a bird that's educated or has an, another agenda and is not interested, I don't really think it matters that much what particular decoy setup you have. Um, I like to use a jake and a hen um, but I've had some incredible results with big fanned-out mature gobbler setups in a hen where the other mature gobblers come in and attack it and just flog it and, and spur it. Really interesting action to, to witness. But I don't believe it's so critical what type of decoy setup. Um, I think it probably matters more if you're hunting back east where the birds are more heavily hunted and, more, and become more educated uh, than... Probably the more realistic decoy and the you know the more catered setup to a particular time of season or time of day or age of bird, then you may want to cater your decoy setup to what you're dealing with there. But out west and the Midwest, the birds are more receptive and uneducated, and I just believe mainly they if they hear a call and they come over a hill and see a decoy setup. They're coming to it pretty well, and so I don't think it's as critical to worry about your exact uh, decoy selection. And let's talk about calling a little bit, too. You know, I know that, uh, you know, I've turkey hunted with you, and and I think that you're, you know, proficient as a turkey caller, but you're certainly no world champion. Uh, You know, how important is calling to your turkey hunting, particularly given what we've already discussed, you know, a lot of your strategy involves being uh, near roost sites or along established travel corridors in places that you already know those birds want to be. So is calling, you know, really the main thing or is calling sort of like a, a secondary tactic for you, given that you're trying to set up in likely spots to begin with? I've always considered calling and decoying more of a secondary thing. I, I've hunted them with woodsmanship where I try to figure out where they're living and where they're going, in other words, their daily routine, and I, I try to put myself in their routine. Uh, I believe the more technical turkey people, they probably, with their really advanced calling techniques and different you know, uh, motion decoys and different things, they can probably get birds in that are not wanting to come in. Uh, I don't know that I'm proficient at that. I have I've ha- I have coaxed birds over that were clearly not interested in coming in. But generally speaking, um, it's like with calling elk or deer. You know, it's not the quality of the call so much to me as it is being in the spot where the animal wants to come to on its own. 
and then uh, being there under the conditions that are right for, you know, for, for getting the animal there. Like a turkey, you know, if, if you're the opposite direction from where that turkey's wanting to go, then you probably need to be the most proficient caller in the world. Maybe you call that bird over there. I still don't believe that that works very often. I think it's a lot more important with turkeys to have good woodsmanship and savvy and pick the places that you set up and make it easy on the birds. And otherwise, you're taking it to that high level that I haven't evolved to yet to where you're an extremely savvy, accomplished caller and hunter for turkeys. And those guys... I guess they are able to kill birds when nobody else can, and that's the people that get into it at a level that's probably a little higher than what I'm at with it. Yeah, but the good news is is that most of us aren't at any better level than you are, and so the, right. the point of discussing that is that it's good news for for all of us because you don't have to be you know, uh, no. a, 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 a turkey call pro staffer to kill lots of turkeys because you certainly kill plenty of gobblers every spring. And, and like you say, you do it with uh, with with your proven methods. And, and uh, you know, so you tend to call some. Uh, talk about your calling a little bit, specifically what you do. I know in the mornings you like to call a little bit to the birds on the roost, but uh, you know, one thing I know everyone says about turkey hunting and calling is you don't want to call too much. So talk about the calling that you do do and, um, you know, when you decide enough is enough. Right. Um, I've always been a proponent of limited calling. I, I think that there are occasions that the birds get excited and you'll hear a, you'll hear a group of birds really carrying on, but it's not very often. And when that's going on, I don't think you could outcall yourself too much. But generally speaking, I like to just let the birds know I'm around uh, and leave it up to them. Curiosity kills the cat. And uh, with turkeys, I think that if they are just fairly sure that you're there, maybe not. You just gave them a few soft, you know, slow hen yelps, tree yelps, they might call them, of the morning and, and cut it off. And let them get down and go, you know, hey, I'm pretty sure we got a new kid on the block over there. Maybe let's go over there and check that out. Uh, I've watched the opposite where people really call them a lot on roost in the morning and call them a lot as soon as they get down. And I've seen those birds just take off and go the opposite direction. Absolutely, when I even knew they were wanting to come the direction we were set up. So I think caution is better than over-calling and soft. The birds can hear way better than you give them credit for. I've learned that a long time ago. Um, you don't need to blast them. If, if, if you even have a hint that they might be able to hear you, then they're hearing you very well. And so I call soft in the morning and very little. And then if I hear a bird is traveling my direction at me, I pretty well don't call at all. I just leave the bird alone. And it's hard to do because everybody likes to hear them gobble. We like to call to them knowing they're going to gobble right back and, and if you have a suicidal bird that's running into you, then go ahead and call to the thing. But if they're making their way slowly along, taking a good while to get to you, you know, maybe every 20 minutes I'll make three or four or five soft yelps just to let them know I'm still over the hill and uh, leave the rest up to them. Yeah, that's good advice. Patience is a virtue, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I know people that hunt turkeys aggressively, and, and 
I can hunt them aggressively if with a shotgun because uh, you can just go to the birds and, and lay them low. But by hunting and setting up on them, you've got to pretty well be patient and let them come to you unalerted. If you, if you shotgun them, that's a different matter. You can, you can aggressively call and get them to gobble and just run over the hill and, and have smoked turkey. But with a bow, you've got to kind of take your time and let them come in and be, be um, comfortable that there, there's no problems there, and they'll come in and just jump right in the middle of your decoys and give you, you know, you may get two or three bow shots at one. They, if you're hunting out of a ground blind, you can get away with murder and... Uh, it's it's really it's a fine deal to have a bird at five yards, you know, flogging your decoy, and you're trying to empty your quiver at the thing. Yeah, and that's where that's where you know a good book and a naps come in handy, right? I know that. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I don't know if you want to tell on yourself, but I believe you've, <laughs> you've been woken up by more than one or two good good turkeys that showed up in your decoys a little bit later than you anticipated. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember when we were hunting together that time, you know, I would take a nap and, uh, you know, hear the birds. <laughs> you know, sometimes I've been woke up by a bird drumming, you know, 10 yards from a blind. I mean, patience is definitely the way to go and enjoyment. I mean, go out in the woods for, you know, some unplugged from society. Take it easy. If you're hyperactive, get you a shot and go after them. But bow hunting turkeys is more of a leisurely sport enjoyment sport commune with nature and you know take the kids along and let them color a color book inside the ground blind you know and just have fun don't take it too seriously and enjoy yourself you know yeah now one one final sort of tactical thing that i wanted to discuss with you is actually reading the birds as they're coming into your set i know even myself um you know, many of us as hunters, when we do get a bird within bow range, we're anxious to take the bird. Um, I think with more experience and just that lack of, of pressure or wanting to enjoy yourself every every little part of the show, if you will, I know that you'll oftentimes just just hang for a while and see what those birds are going to do, you know, give them a chance to, to mount those decoys or flog those decoys or, you know, maybe get in a little fight with each other as they're coming in or whatever. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about that and how do you decide other than the fact that the, the bird is simply close enough beyond that, what, what's the right time to shoot? Well, you know, a lot, again, depends on the bird. You know, you have immature gobblers and then the mature birds. And tens are a different breed. They usually are not real fond of strangers. You know, if you have a flock of hens coming in, a lot of times they'll have maybe be dragging a big gobbler along behind them. And the hens usually come in and, and do their thing with the decoy, and the gobbler may stand back, you know, 20, 30, 40 50 yards back and strut back and forth while the hens are in there worrying your decoys, pecking them or scolding them or doing whatever they do. And you've got to be able to read what's going on and not get premature and, you know, take shots that are iffy because it's just as important to pick the time to take a good shot as it is to, you know, it's easier to just take a shot that is a hope shot because if, if a bunch of hens are in messing with your decoys, if they're already there and they're already messing with them, you already know they're at ease with them, and they're going to maybe take three or four minutes and decide that these 
Negroes on the block here are not going to mess with them, and they'll ease right on off and drag that gobbler right on by there. He'll usually come right on by at 5 or 10, 15 yards, so you don't need to shoot at him out there at 40 yards strutting back and forth. So it's just really a matter of being patient, and unless the birds are acting extremely edgy, if you're, if they're not putting or, you know, if they're not, you know, moving quickly about uh, in a in an excited, you know, or not excited, but worried pattern, just don't worry about it because ground blinds hide a multitude of sins, and you can get away with all kinds of time and movement in that blind and just take your time and, and if it's, you know, possibly a group of jakes, I've had a group of six or eight jakes come into my decoys at one time. Them poor young fellas can, you know, be real nervous about a mature gobbler if that's what you have as a decoy. But a lot of times if it's another jake, they'll come in there and hang around for 15 or 20 minutes trying to get the, you know, buddied up with this other new stranger. And so you've got all the time in the world to just enjoy the show, make good decisions and take good shots. And uh, don't get excited, just... Take, take turkey hunting as a as a fun outing, and, and you'll be more productive than if you get all hyped up over it. Well, that's true for any any hunting, isn't it, Eddie? Right, yeah. Buck fever has never done good by anybody deer hunting either, so no. just be calm and enjoy the show. Uh, a couple other things. Let's move into equipment for a little bit here, Eddie. Do you, uh, yeah. What kind of broadhead do you think is the best for, for turkey hunting? Well, you know, that's really, really uh, discussable. Uh, I use a, a real broad or wide fixed-blade head, um, something in the inch and a half or inch and five-eighths or three-quarter range. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm older. I'm a little bit more old-fashioned. I'm not a big at Yeah, you're ancient. Guy. You're ancient. How old are you now, 85? <laughs> yeah, I get I'm old as dirt. I'm 57 now. I'm 57, but I mean, I mean, things change so fast now. Every 10 or 20 years, it's almost like you have another generation of, of you know, outlook. And I'm kind of old school. If it ain't, if it ain't broke, I don't try to fix it. I shoot my bow plenty good with fixed heads, even wide heads at 20, 25 yards. I can drive nails, and I'm basically not going to shoot at turkeys much over about. 25 yards, uh, even though I probably can kill them a lot farther, I just will take the time to let them get in close and, and kill them cleanly, because turkeys are amazingly resilient as far as being bow killed. You've got to really uh, shoot them properly to get them anchored, and so I, I've lost a few over the years to wounds, and I've kind of sworn off of that. So I use a broad, fixed blade head, get the bird in close, and I like to have the bird broadside if I can and shoot toward the edge of the bottom of the wing butts in his side. And a, a broad fixed blade head is going to carry a lot of knockdown with it. And you will usually definitely anchor the bird with a broadside shot and a wide fixed blade head. Uh, he, I haven't lost a bird in many years now. And it's mainly not due to the broad head or, or my shooting ability. It's just I shoot them at 10, 15 yards, usually broadside, and that's what you should strive for. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Well, Eddie, you know, a lot of great turkey hunting advice in today's show. And, uh, you know, for those who are listening, if you are uh, a bow hunter who focuses mainly on deer and uh, 
you've never chased turkeys with the bow, you really got to give it a try. I, I've actually bumped into an awful lot of bow hunters over the years, Eddie, and I'm sure you have too. They're very avid bow hunters uh, in the fall for deer, but they still never chase turkeys with the bow. They just shotgun hunt for them. And I just think, I just think it's neat to get after them with the bow. You know, it's just a little bit of an added challenge. Well, amazingly, I was in my 40s before I first turkey hunted with a bow. I, I didn't give them the credence. And also, I was a construction worker and had to work seven days a week, 10 or 12 hours a day, all through the spring in my early life and didn't get to pursue them. But when I got into it and killed my first bird with a bow, I got pretty excited about it. And I, for a number of years, I really made plans accordingly. I, It's a new opening and a new opportunity, and even a hardcore antler guy can uh, enjoy a bow hunt for turkeys. Give it a try, and you'll be surprised. Let some people make fun of you. I know these hardcore, you know, bonehead bow hunters that hunt big antlers always laugh at turkey hunters, but that's okay. I've been, uh, hey, get out there and have fun and take a little flack over it, you know. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, for those of you who get the magazine, you'll be seeing uh, Eddie's latest turkey hunting adventure in our April-May issue, which uh, should be out here very shortly. And uh, I'm trying to think, Eddie, I, it's terrible. I'm, I'm getting old myself, you know. I'm 42, yeah. so it's hard to remember. Uh, yeah. Springtime in the heartland I've got here on page 46 and where did you go last year that you wrote about this for me well i did some and i did a little i killed a few birds in kansas and some up in south dakota and um that's right this was in the flint hills of kansas right um i focused on that particular set of birds there and uh that's up in some of my favorite deer hunting country and it's just a beautiful place. I got my granddaughter that lives up there close, and she got out with me. We had a lot of fun, and I, I'm sitting here right now just daydreaming about it coming up soon. And, uh, yeah, so what do you have lined up for spring 2016, Eddie? Well, I've been accruing a few points out in the western states for some birds out there. There are some states that, you know, you have to draw a tag in, Arizona and so on, and I've been building a few points. I'm going to have one of these days. I'm going to hunt the elusive and uh, rarely known about rules turkey and so i'm i'm getting close to being able to do that soon but this year i'm going to probably go back up into the prairies of south dakota i love quiet and i like wide open spaces and i'm going to probably make a kind of a three-prong approach stop for three or four days in kansas stop for three or four days in nebraska and stop for five or six days up there and make a two-week roundabout and just hunt birds in all of those areas and mainly enjoy quiet and mother nature man you got the life buddy i'll tell you what i do i do i'm blessed (laughs) well you know it's great to have you on the team eddie i certainly uh appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today and uh I wish you the best, but I know that my wishes you don't really need because you're going to get out there and knock them down like you always do. Uh, you know, you're, uh, yeah. you, you, you know how to get it done, Eddie, and, and, and I think that's, that's sort of equal parts skill, perseverance, and uh, just having the one resource that bow hunters can never have enough of, and that's time in the field. 
that's it. Yes, I'm blessed in all aspects of it, and uh, I understand most people are not at that point in their life, but, you know, it doesn't take but a couple of days here and there to have a good family outing and kill a bird or so and have a lot of fun. So I encourage everyone to, you know, just unplug for a few days this spring and get out there wherever, whether it be east, midwest, or west. Have a, you know, if you got the time, make a road trip, take a family vacation, and go out west and hunt a bird. Great advice, Eddie. Thanks again so much. God bless you, my friend. Give my yeah. best to Peggy. Pat Lulu on the head for me. And uh, yeah. keep on keep on whacking and stacking those long beards, all right? All right. Thank you, sir. God bless you, too. Yep. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's new ultra micro diameter injection arrows. For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.